Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. We're going to look at the readings for the seventh Sunday after Pentecost, specifically the gospel lesson from St. Mark chapter 6. You can listen to all the readings on the reading podcast that was dropped yesterday. So this is a gory event, and it is interesting, and there's a lot of questions. And I actually really appreciate St. Mark's take on this because it's brief, it's to the point. Now with that, I'm really curious, what else happened? What what happened behind the scenes? How did this happen? So on and so forth. Well, there's a lot that we're not told. Right. And we do get a little bit more details, but not necessarily in the way that we want in right. Matthew. Yeah. Because Matthew, we hear from John himself while he's in prison. Yeah. Jesus, uh, John reaches out to Jesus while he's in prison. But we don't really find out more about what's going on in this court of King Herod. Yeah, so the story is simply that uh, King Herod, not a great guy, he is sleeping with his brother's wife. Or trying to take his brother's wife as his wife, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, Is she complicit in this or is she, you know, I don't know. It's whatever it is, a sword situation, debauchery. It's not good, no matter which way you look at it. it. It would certainly be a political scandal today if it got out. Or maybe not, I don't know. Yeah, very true. <laughs> well, and, but with that, though, you got John the Baptist calling him out. Now, before the recording, you and I were kind of arguing, was this publicly? Or did the Baptist go to Herod and say, you don't do this. Well, I've changed my mind on this. Okay. I think originally I had thought maybe this was like a public thing mm-hmm. where he was, you know, kind of spreading public rumors. And it's not really a rumor because it's true. Kind of spreading the word publicly that this was happening. But I've kind of, I've changed my mind. Okay. I think Herod sought John out. Really? Okay. I think that Herod heard that John the Baptist was, you know, stirring things up. This is his kingdom. Something's happening. He brought him in. Let's see what the local guy can do. Let's see kind of, you know, show me what you're all about. And John decides to show him what he's all about by saying, repent. You are sleeping with your brother's wife. Repent. This is what John's ministry, whole ministry is, is calling people to repentance. Right. Re- yeah. Repent and be baptized. Yeah. And I think, I think Herod initiated this contact. Now, do I have proof of this? No, not really. But it does say that John said this to Herod. Right. So I don't think John was like, hey, did you hear Herod sleeping with his brother's wife? Mm -hmm. I think he said it directly to Herod. Hey, this is what you're doing. Repent. Whether John sought Herod out or Herod sought John out. But I I think that's kind of what I'm leaning towards now. Okay. So I'm going to push back on this a little bit. Mm -hmm. I like the idea that uh, John the Baptist is a brash, open preacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, he calls out the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. Yeah, um, He's not afraid. 
Now, at the same time, I also don't think he's, who can I make mad with the gospel? Right. What can I, what pot can I stir? You know, I, I don't think he's doing that. But Herod is a public figure publicly doing this. Now, I don't think he's, you know, making speeches. And my brother's wife, who has joined me, you know, I, I don't think he's making this public. But at the same time, I do think that the Baptist is making this information public. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the idea, and I, I saw this in a movie when I was in uh, college, had to write a paper on it. But you had uh, Herodias and Herod riding up to the palace in a chariot of some sort. And there's John the Baptist very publicly calling out Herod. You don't do this. That's your brother's wife. Repent. And going directly to repent, not just, this is bad, this is evil, you're a bad man, but going to, there's something there. You're doing something wrong. There's a remedy. Not only stop it, but repent from it. But the text points out uh, Herodias, uh, Philip's wife, Herod's partner. I, I don't even know what the right term for this is. She takes issue. Oh, yeah. She has problems. And I'm curious, is Herod looking at this as an, another annoyance? I mean, he's in the political arena. Everybody is out to get him. He's king. And it's lonely to be the king because, you know, you got to look over. You probably have somebody testing your food before you eat it, so on and so forth. What is this upstart who's talking about what I want to do? Or this nobody who wears weird clothes and eats weird food. I'll defend my position a little bit. Right. And and I think you you carry a lot of water in your argument. And I think there's probably a lot of overlap on the two sides. Well, I think what what you're bringing to this that I think is probably true is I think that Herodias is involved in this. Right. I don't think it's John and Herod one-on-one. No. And then, like, later in the pillow talk, he's like, hey, Herodias, you know, this random prophet said this about us. <laughs> like, I think she hears this, too. Right. Uh, to to defend my Herod starting this, John waits for people to come to him. Look at what he does with the Pharisees. Yeah. He waits for the Pharisees to come to him. Mm-hmm. He isn't out there preaching, like, those Pharisees, those people who aren't in the room, they're the worst. Right. It's when they come to him. that mm-hmm. He says, you brood of wipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? It is, he waits for people to come to him. But and now, so I, and I don't, I don't think he would leave his, you know, kind of ministry that he's got set up to go and pick a know, fight. Pick a fight. I don't think he would do that. To, to push this a little bit further, this, this rabbit hole, mm-hmm. why would Herod go out of his, did John the Baptist, how did they meet? Right. How, right, how did, right. You know, because again, I, I agree with you. And I really like that because well, it shows the prominence of, the ministry that has mm-hmm. been put upon John the Baptist not to pick political fights, not yeah. to uh, go around uh, finding places to go. Well, he's not afraid of it. Right. Like, look at what he does to the Pharisees. Right. You know, that's a political fight too. Yeah. And he picks it, but mm-hmm. he picks it when they show up at his door. Right. Now— um, well, But why does Herod show up? And, and, the, and like in the movie that you're talking about, it's a chance encounter. Right. And I think what we're forgetting is early on— John's ministry was bigger than Jesus's. Oh, yeah. Like, John was massively popular. Mm-hmm. John was the one that they thought was going to change society forever. Right. Because he's the one who's bringing all these people out early on uh, to see him. He's the one that's kind of this this mover and shaker in the community. Well, he's in the wilderness. He's in the wilderness. Which is it was just, it shows 
how big he is. People are literally, like you said, going to him. He didn't go to them. Well, and unlike Jesus, Jesus is traveling. Mm -hmm. Jesus moves around from principality to principality. And so uh, for a while, honestly, he's no one person's problem. Mm -hmm. He's not in your backyard doing this. Right. John's in your backyard doing this, and he's not going anywhere. Right. You know where to find him. You know exactly where to find him. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, maybe it was a chance encounter. Maybe it was John knocked on the past, uh, palace door. You know, I don't know. We, we right. don't know. Right. But what we do know a little bit more about is, like you said, how do Herod and Herodias respond to this? Because they respond very differently. Yes. Herod's response is the peculiar one to me, though, because he's clearly offended at least a little. Yeah. Because he puts John in jail. And, you know, that's his, I guess, right as a tetrarch to to do that. Yeah. To put guys you don't like in jail. And he does this, but he doesn't want to kill him. In fact, he seems to almost like him. It's weird. It's almost like he's taken John and imprisoned him for the purpose of having him close by, which is just strange. Well, uh, verse 19 and 20, and Herodias had a grudge against him, John, and wanted to put him to death. But she could not. So she didn't have the power. And then the verse 20. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Yeah. And I, That's strange. Yeah. And I think, I don't think this is a public opinion thing. No. I don't think he's like, what will people think if I kill him? Mm. I don't think it's that. I think... And maybe you had, you had mentioned earlier, maybe he's superstitious mm -hmm. in the sense that, you know, you can arrest holy men, but you don't kill them. Yeah. Because just in the off chance they're right, you don't want to incur the wrath of, you know, their God upon you. Well, and that's uh, verse 14, though, the beginning of the text. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Mm -hmm. Jesus is doing miracles. Yes. John the Baptist didn't do miracles. No, he didn't. No, that's true. And with that, when Herod hears this, he's has John been raised from the dead and now he's doing these miracles? Is he going to come and get me? And, you know, uh, speculation on my part. But I do think Herod's a superstitious guy. I think he's politically scared of everybody. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in the protection of power, you always consolidate. And... Now this Jesus is a threat. Is he the guy I put to death? Is he coming back? Right. And I think that's an underlying thing. I don't think that's the point of this text at all. But I do think it needs to be mentioned. It, you know, it, it does need to be mentioned. And I think, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons he doesn't want to kill John. Yeah. Is because who knows what will happen. Right, maybe, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and, and with when he hears about Jesus, ironically, he's like, oh, no, it's John. When really John was pointing to Jesus, which in a little bit says— was Herod not paying attention when John was talking? Because I'm inclined to think that John probably talked about Jesus. Well, and I'm curious. Okay, so there you got Herod sitting in luxury, and he walks down to the basement dungeon. Mm -hmm. Hey, John, I got some questions for you. And freely asking, I really do think that Herod is very curious. I don't think he's stupid. I don't think he's an idiot. What is this that you're teaching? Who do you think you are yeah. to make these accusations? Yeah. Um, you're already in prison. I already exercised my power. Talk freely. Mm -hmm. And John, without hesitation, opens up. Yeah. Now, with this, 
And, and let's say that uh, John's preaching to Herod. This is going to be a very heavy law-based sermon. But that's the life that Herod is living. And I don't think, again, just in my imagination, I don't think John's yelling. Yeah. I don't think he's, let me make a list of all the bad things you're doing. But that's where Herod is, too. And that's also something I think he understands. I think he understands power. And the law has a lot of power because the gospel is going to look weak. Mm-hmm. Your sins are forgiven. Uh, repent. Uh, Jesus loves you. You know, all these catchphrases, buzzwords. Well, and I don't think John's saying any of it. No, I don't either. Because Herod has not responded in faith or repentance. Right. And so I think John is like pretty much full law. What? The, the the option of the gospel is there, I'm sure. Yeah. But John as a whole is more of a law guy anyway. Yes, but, and, and the, the but to negate that, that statement, even on the, the banks of the Jordan, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. The literal pointing to, mm-hmm. this is the one I've been preaching about. This is the one who is promised to come. I must decrease so he can increase again. Yeah. You know, the, the bigness of everything. I, I And again, we're, we're not given any information. But I know Jesus shows up in the preaching of John the Baptist. Now, again, yeah. to what extent? Right. Because repent. Well, what do I have to repent of? I'm king. I, I make the rules. I, you know, so on and so forth. And I do think that Herod is very open but as we've discussed in other episodes, Herod is trying to understand this academically, mm-hmm. practically. Uh, is this an actual political threat? Do, is this just a philosophy? Is this a teaching? Is this an upstart? You know, I, I, there's no faith in no. what Herod is doing. Definitely not. But at the same time, he's curious. And, and he's is, perplexed and he gladly heard it. And this is one of the responses of the law. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily one that we super expect or anticipate, but it is one of the, you know, possible responses is curiosity, perplexion, fear, um, willing to hear him out, but not willing to change. Yeah, and we really see that come to head in the next part of the text. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the hard part. Yeah. So, we get... To, King Herod has a party. It's his birthday. And of course, he's going to have all the wonderful things taking place. And we have Herodias's daughter, not his daughter, Herodias's daughter. And she dances and so pleases him and his guests. And in, I heard or read in a commentary, in his drunken stupor, makes this outlandish promise. Up to half of my kingdom, I will give you anything you want because of what you did for everybody. And he doesn't have the authority to do this. Right. It's. It, I think it's hyperbole. Um, and I think it's meant to be taken as hyperbole and to show, you know, favor, like, you know, ask for something and I'll give it to you. Um, and I, for perhaps fortunately for him, he does, she does not ask for half his kingdom, but she does make a request that is not one he wants to give. Well, and it's not her request. It no. comes from her mother. She runs to her mother. I've been given this opportunity. What shall I ask for? And again, in my mind's eye, I think Herodias is like, John the Baptist, like right now, go. Yes. Yeah. No question, no hesitation. Um, and that that's just 
vindictive. I, I think she planned this. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I think she did. This gives a little bit, and it's you that brought this up. This gives a little bit Macbeth vibes. Yes. Uh, you know, where you've got Macbeth, you know, the king, and then you've got Lady Macbeth, the the real vicious one behind the scenes, pushing her husband to step up, kill the people she wants him to kill, to to take charge, you know. I knew my English major in undergrad would finally come to pay <laughs> off. Um, yes, absolutely. She's the one that, that pushes this. And again, um, this is a stupid act on Herod's part. Um, for whatever reason, he does this. And she has had this plan. How much did she manipulate behind? Um, I, I think we should give her credit in her shrewdness. Um, another commentary pointed out that she has molded her daughter in her likeness. Mm-hmm. And I would go far as to say her lewd likeness mm-hmm. to get what she wants and so on and so forth. And again, going back to our, our earlier statements about how complicit is she in being with Herod while she's married to his brother, Philip? I think she's smart enough. She's absolutely complicit. Right. And I'm not. that's not to let Herod off the hook. No, Herod's, no, Herod's not Herod's completely complicit, too. Yes. I think she does this with full knowledge. And I think, uh, you know, it is with full intention that she does this. So, um, the Baptist is beheaded immediately. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Herod is sad about this. Well, see, I, I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. Uh, because we have verse 26. And the king, Herod, was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oath, and his guest. He can't lose face before the guest. Everybody heard him say this. Uh, they killed John. Well, what this, is the sorry thing? I, I think I want to view this in the sense of like shame versus guilt here a little okay. bit. So to avoid the shame of breaking a public oath, he does something that's arguably more shameful. Mm. He does something guilty right um to avoid the 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 public ridicule disappointment whatever you want to call it of going back on his word that's more important to him than doing the right thing so keeping his promise is more important than innocent blood yes and that is a reflection on him yes like i i'm not i'm not denying his feelings that he was sorry that he didn't want to do this i think mm. he didn't want to do this right but you weighed these two things and decided one was worth more than the other. Yeah, I don't think there's any repentance. I don't think there's any, um, oh no, what's going to happen now? It's, I'm sorry that this happened. Well, and he knows this is coming from Herodias. Yes. I, Herodias has been asking for this. This right. is Herodias's daughter. She was like, let me go consult someone real quick. <laughs> like, he yep. knows where this is coming from. He... I don't think he's an idiot. No. He is fully aware this is from Herodias, and she has played him and backed him into a corner. But the thing is, he doesn't have to play the game. Right. He's playing the game because he wants to have it all. Right. Because he wants to to please his subjects and his guests. Because he wants to please his mistress. Because he wants to, you know, be able to have his pet prophet in his dungeon, too. He's trying to have it all. Mm. But he doesn't have to play the game. And I don't think he realizes that. In the sense that... He's the leader here. He could just say no. He's within his rights to do that. 
but he doesn't. Well, yeah, because uh, again, going earlier in the text, she wished St. John the Baptist dead, but she could not. Mm-hmm. Um, you're absolutely right. And she has no power in this. I mean, outside of being Philip's wife and his mistress. Yeah. But she locks him into a social contract. Yeah. Um, very cleverly. You know. well, so there's another overarching situation happening. And I think it's kind of interesting. You got Herod, who absolutely knows what he's doing is wrong in the public eye, in the religious eye, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and he just bears it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting that this guilt, uh, political guilt, um, shame, as, yeah, as you said. Yeah. I, I like shame better. Um, but the whole idea that he got called out mm-hmm. and he didn't really hide it. He didn't change his ways, but he still listened to the law being given to him. And he also understands the implications. I I do think that he has issues with the whole idea an innocent man has died. Mm -hmm. I do think that he got over it pretty quick. Some commentaries argue that that's why he released the body Mm -hmm. to John the Baptist's followers. Yeah. You know, to kind of dealing with his own guilt there. Once again, not repentance, but right. guilt. Yeah. I, mean, I, I I do think that he understands. Innocent blood has been shed, but I come out on top. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a power dynamic right. versus a a guilt dynamic. He's, he's set aside his own personal guilt mm-hmm. in favor of maintaining power. Right. Because, you know, from a power perspective, it doesn't matter if you have affairs. It doesn't matter if you kill some innocent people as long as you stay in charge. And he does. Mm-hmm. As opposed to looking at this in the sense that he did something wrong. He's sleeping with his brother's wife. This led to him doing other things wrong, like killing innocent blood. These these wrong actions build on top of each other, and the guilt, I think, internally builds in him because the the actions keep building on top of each other. But he's living in this completely different framework that's not about personal responsibility, but is about maintaining power. Well, let me switch topics just a little bit. Where's the gospel in this text? It's it's hard to find mm-hmm. because this is law for a lot of people. Yeah, This is law for Herod. But also remember, this passage was not written to Herod. Right. It's also law for us because it reminds us what can happen when we speak the truth. Um, it reminds us that when we speak the law, it can be responded to in a lot of different ways and none of those are particularly positive. It can be responded to at best curiosity and at worst anger and desire to kill us. Yeah. Um, How many prophets died speaking the truth? Quite a few. And a lot of people will still respond to hearing the law in one of these ways. Mm -hmm. So I see that as law actually for us too. Oh, yes. To remind us the cost of what we do. And this doesn't mean we do it boldly, stupidly, or rudely. Right. Um, but knowing when we do it, there's a price to pay. And that's part of what it means to follow Jesus is to, to know that it is a path with which costs. So that's the law for us. But you asked, where's the gospel? Right. And I think where I see it is maybe in those first opening verses of this passage where word of Jesus begins to spread. Okay. And 
you know, and and we see this event through the perspective of Harry. Mm -hmm. And so let's let's view this from his perspective for a little bit. He has built guilt upon guilt upon guilt. Innocent blood is on his hands. Uh, Marital infidelity, betrayal of his brother, all of these things lie on his hands. Mm. And I think he feels that. And word comes of this Jesus who John talked about. And he responds, I think, in fear and superstition. Yes. But with the coming of Jesus also comes the promise of forgiveness that John pointed to. Mm-hmm. With the coming of Jesus, with Jesus, is, with Jesus growing as John has literally decreased even to death, with Jesus increasing comes the increase of grace and mercy that can cover even these sins. And that's offered to Herod. And I don't think he takes it. No, I, I don't think he. I don't think he takes it. But it's there. The type of forgiveness that can cover even all of these things is here, and it comes through weakness and defeat, just like John faced. Jesus too will die at the hands of political and uh, Roman authorities mm-hmm. you know, at the end of his ministry, and through that will come a grace that can cover any guilt, that can cover all of these, you know, responses to the law, fear, uh, anger, uh, curiosity, are met with something strange and foreign, which is, you know, forgiveness, grace, mercy. So we have an implied gospel. It's implied. It's not I, an immediate gospel. And I don't know, do you have any more immediate gospel that you see here? Well, see, I, I really like how you bring Jesus into this text, because he's there. Mm-hmm. It's the, the first verse, and Jesus' name had become known. And how does Herod respond? Is that John the Baptist coming back from the dead to yeah. seek revenge? That's fear. There's no faith. There's, you know, superstition. So well, he didn't respond to law well. Right. I don't think he responds to gospel well no. either. But um, you said guilt built on guilt upon guilt upon guilt. I would change that and sin begets sin begets sin. Right. And you see this progression that he keeps going. Uh, Herod's heart is hardened. And the giving of the law doesn't necessarily solidify that hardening of heart, but it just shows who Herod is. Where is his faith? It's in my power. It's in my knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's in this. But this contrary statements, somebody bold enough to call Herod out. I, I, I like the idea that St. John the Baptist is not a yes man to no. anyone. But I also, I really, really like how you paint the picture that he doesn't go out of his way <laughs> to find a fight. Right. And um, I'm not going to go and say it was a chance encounter mm-hmm. that, that this happened um, only through God's will. But this statement of the law was always brought in with the gospel. And how John proclaimed the gospel, we'll never know. But I do think that it was offered. And because it was weak, because it's marred in uh, repentance, acknowledgement of your own weakness and need for something else, Herod had nothing to do with it. And again, I'm I'm putting stuff on Herod, but that's not what the powerful king does. You know, you don't live by other rules. You live by your rules. And so this gospel, I I do think uh, it's implied 
And we, as the church, we get to hear this too. And I like what you said. Even something as gross and public as this situation, both the uh, mistress situation and the innocent blood being spilled, those sins, forgiveness is offered. Yeah. And Herod said no. And, and I, I think he missed it. I don't think yeah. it was, you know, John the Baptist right before his beheading. You know, Herod, it's not too late. You can repent. I, I think, you know, he just, he didn't get it. And to go back to Shakespeare. Okay. Um, you studied English. I studied theater. So mm. Shakespeare is the overlap for us. Okay. Uh, there's two types of Shakespeare plays. Tragedies. Oh, yeah. And there's comedy. Mm-hmm. And this is how the the drama world was divided up for a long time between tragedies and comedies. And tragedy doesn't mean sad and comedy means funny. It actually all has to do with the ending of the story. Right. Uh, tragedies are stories which end without that positive resolution. Mm-hmm. And comedies are those that wrap things up neatly at the end with a bow. Right. Comedy doesn't mean there's jokes and it's funny. Right. It means the story wraps up Positive. in the end. Yeah. Which means most of the movies that we watch are comedies. Yes. And most of the stories that we listen to are comedies, whether they have jokes or not. This is a tragedy. Oh, absolutely. This is a tragedy because how, of how it ends. Herod hears law and gospel, receives neither. John the Baptist, our, this event ends with him being carried off by his disciples and buried. Mm. And unlike Jesus' story, it doesn't end with him raising from the dead in rising from the dead in three days. This is a tragedy. And that's a part of the Christian story too. Well, and you got Jesus saying uh, two things that reflect this situation. Pick up your cross and follow me. Mm -hmm. That's not, hey, everything's going to be nice, happy-go-lucky, and it'll be wonderful. Uh, Because he also says, for my name's sake, you will suffer. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.